one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 130 of Sports Speak. We've done a lot of them now. Uh, I'm Eddie Kalegi. And I'm Tim Moore. I'm actually here at WRSU. I just had to record a couple of other things. So uh, getting this show done as well. It's been a couple of weeks since Tim and I have both been on, and there's a lot to talk about. We're going to talk some NBA playoffs, a little women's college basketball, Odell Beckham Jr. uh, going to the Baltimore Ravens, and of course baseball, because we're now two weeks into the MLB season. We'll save the NBA playoffs for the end. Let's start with Major League Baseball. We'll start with the AL East, but not the Yankees. The Tampa Bay Rays, a perfect 13-0 to begin the season. little injury scare with Jeffrey Springs. I know they've played some easy teams to start, but it's easy to drop some games too. So how impressive is this for the if the Rays? And from a Yankee fan standpoint, Tim, how much of a concern do you see as the Rays being a threat in the AL East after these first couple of weeks? Well, since we haven't really had a show first off since opening day, I will let you know that it took me game two of a 162 game season to have my first Yankees meltdown. Um, of last year, year, you said ga- last year it was game one because you said this yeah. team wasn't going anywhere after they hit the walk off. So you, you progressed. One, one game better. Um, but besides that, you know, I, I put it like this Tampa Bay last year had a lot of injuries, had a lot of, you know, not consistent moments throughout the season. But one thing that made the Rays really good, and we saw it as they got towards the postseason, of course, pitching as always ended up prevailing. But especially defensively, this team made strides as the year went on to play very effective baseball. The key that the Rays were missing, to be honest with you, and what made them a team that made the World Series a few seasons ago was getting clutch hits, getting Big hits when it matters in games. And to be honest with you, when you look at the Rays and you look at this offense, you know, this is a team that, you know, has a lot of players coming back from last season. Not many, you know, major new additions in the offense. Um, But you have players that didn't have much of a role last season and now have that experience. Rather, they played 40, 50 games and are starting to build. And one thing I noticed about the Rays early this season, as well, Eddie, through this 13-game span, you know, they're not just throwing one guy out there all 13 games to this point. They're actually really doing a good job mixing and managing the lineup, trying to monitor off days. Now, of course, all major league teams are trying to do that, but I'm seeing the Rays do it a lot more than not because, to be honest with you, the Rays have a lot of depth defensively where they have a lot of guys not limited just to one or two positions. So that that's what really, I think, stands out and goes to the point of, am I worried about for the Yankees? Absolutely, because the, the bats aren't changed from last postseason. You know, everybody's so hyped up about Anthony Volpe and everything. And, you know, that, that it's great to be, you know, all great and grand to be hyped about a young prospect, but the Yankees have inconsistencies of hitting when it matters. My first meltdown of the season happened because the Yankees had multiple chances with runners on second and third, bases loaded, whatever. And it's not that they couldn't produce the run, you know, double plays, whatever, but it's the fact that they could not produce, you know, a proper situational baseball when they needed to. And they constantly fail that, in my opinion, time and time again. Now, I didn't really melt down yesterday after they got blown out. But going back to the topic of worry, I would say yes. Because as much as we love the New York Yankees, and I love the New York Yankees, the fact that you know they're constantly above 500 in playoff picture, I'd like to remind you this, Eddie. This is a team and a franchise that, despite all this hype up and success every year, has won two division titles 
in the last 10 seasons. That's it. Two division titles last season and then a few seasons ago where they were hyped up to be the best team in baseball and turned out to be nothing. So with that being said, yeah, I'm kind of worried because I think the Rays are playing consistent baseball. And by the way, they can only get better during a trade deadline as well. And imagine if that's the team. They get Shohei Otani. I'd be shocked if they did make that move only because then they'd have to pay him and they have never paid anybody more than Zach Eflin. But uh, you never know. Shohei could end up being a rental. That's what makes him so kind of weird this season uh, because the Angels, again, probably have a good chance of not going anywhere, even though I do see them making the playoffs and actually making the run the once time this year with both Trout and Otani. Uh, I will just quickly give my thoughts on the Mets. We're two weeks into the year. Big series win over the Padres. I'm happy about that. No Edwin Diaz costing them most off most apparent was the Brewers game, the third game when they had the walk off of Adam Adovino because the Mets don't have enough backline pitching and the offense has been spotty at best to start the season. Pete Alonso's looked great. So has Nimmo. There's been some big problems in the bottom of the order. It's also just really infuriating seeing the San Francisco Giants absolutely rake and half their lineup is Mets players. And now Darren Ruff leaves the Mets. They designate him for assignment. Guess who signs him? The Giants. And he gets a hit off Clayton Kershaw on his first at bat with San Francisco. And now the Giants two, three, four, and five hitters are all players who have been with the Mets in the last three years. So they are literally Mets 2.0, but their offense is producing more than the Mets who have the highest paid payroll. So frustrates me, but the Mets have looked good. They've won three of their first four series. Now the California trip have to take care of business in Oakland and we'll see what they do going forwards. But overall, I'm mostly positive about the Mets. Uh, we'll have more baseball talk, of course, as the season goes on. But since we're only two weeks in, there's very few conclusions that can be drawn on any team. So we're going to leave baseball there. We're going to shift to college basketball, the women's side. First of all, I think it's so great for the sport of women's basketball that they have stars that they can now market. That has never happened before. This rivalry between Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese is great for the sport. I know some of the debates were kind of pointless and kind of stupid and the whole thing with Angel Reese saying that Caitlin Clark disrespected her by leaving a 21% three-point shooter open is ridiculous but and not everybody likes Kim Mulkey I'm not the biggest fan of the Iowa team because they ran up the score on Rutgers earlier this year but as you would say the fact of the matter is that Rutgers excuse me not Rutgers I'm sitting in Rutgers women's basketball in general is getting more popular. They had 9 million viewers for their national championship game, which I think in the future should be in prime time and not just in a Sunday afternoon. And Iowa and LSU did a great job promoting this sport. Caitlin Clark is going to be back next year. So will Angel Reese in the women's basketball collegiate ranks. So there is a new rivalry there. UConn is always a great story. So I think this is just massive for women's basketball. They are finally getting on the map. And it's because they have found a way to market their stars, something that the sports that are thriving now, like basketball and soccer, they do it because they can market their stars. Yeah, I think that's absolutely huge. And, you know, I honestly hope the WNBA 
transitions as well into benefiting off of learning off this marketing because I think it'll also help its viewership. Because to be honest with you, and granted, uh, I don't want to say a few years back. I want to say it's about maybe uh, now seven, eight years back when UConn was going through its you know massive trend of winning uh, women's national basketball championships. It felt like at that time, you know, women's college basketball until this year was at an all-time high in terms of popularity because you had players like Brianna Stewart, you know, and at the time, even before that, you know, Brittany Griner and so on, you know, doing things different that really made the sport stand out a little bit um, from the women's perspective. But, you know, back then, media wasn't as huge. It wasn't as big to gauge. And I think that from a perspective of, you know, getting a little bit of, uh, of you know, in this case, quote unquote, fake beef and drama, you know, to kind of t- tell the story is kind of nice to an extent because it shows personality and going back to my point about the WNBA of course it's great for women's college basketball and I think it tells a a great story moving forward but keeping the picture of women's basketball you know perspective in general from a professional standpoint you know a lot of these players wants to leave the college level you know very few of course go to the WNBA or play you know out of the country elsewhere but the the point is is this is that you know their personalities I don't want to say die out but it just kind of shies away, whereas their peak is women's college basketball. And then, oh, there's the WNBA. So I going going to that reason, that's why I feel that the WNBA should follow that standard too, because you can only capitalize and build off each other. I feel, you know, the NFL does a very good job, of course, building off of college sports, you know, to build up their draft and their future. Same thing with the NBA as well. So I feel this is ideal if the WNBA can merge. But if not, then you know what? I can still live with this because it's still building women's college basketball and it needs eyes on it desperately. We've been saying that for years now, and I think this is a great first step. Yeah, I think so, too. And really, I think we're in the right spot for this to happen, for it to affect the WNBA, because Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese two years from now will be in the WNBA. These stars can be marketed and that's what you need that's why as nascar fans there's so much frustration with sometimes where it feels like nascar isn't marketing enough because they struggle to market their stars baseball has this problem with mike trout and aaron judge it's hard to market them you have these big personalities now the only sport that markets based on brand and brand alone is nfl because think about it the giants and the cowboys regardless of who is playing at quarterback any given game between those two teams millions of people are going to tune in There is no other sport like that. So other sports have to build off of their stars. And women's basketball is on the cusp of doing that because of what Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese have brought to the table in this really exciting final four we got to witness over the past couple of weeks. Let's go to the NFL, the big news of the week, Tim. Odell Beckham Jr. is off the board and to a team I don't think anybody expected the Baltimore Ravens. This comes just three weeks after Lamar Jackson requested a trade. Now, of course, these moves can't be isolated. The players talk. So I assume this now means Lamar Jackson is bought back in with Baltimore or he told ownership, I want Odell Beckham Jr. Now he has Odell Beckham Jr. I don't see a world where OBJ signs an $18 million contract to play with Tyler Huntley. So I I wonder if you're in the same feeling as me. Does this move with Beckham going to the Ravens guarantee Lamar is going to be back wearing the purple and gold next year? You know, I don't know because it feels like Lamar has gone very silent. And while I do believe as, you know, things further progress, I'm sure he's going to end up being back with the Ravens. But 
on the contrary, what if LeBron, oh, LeBron, goodness, what if Lamar, you know, is still following course? And what if the Ravens are trying to, you know, sneakily bring in Aaron Rodgers? You know, I'd like to mind you, even though it feels like it's a done deal of him going to the Jets, it's just a matter of compensation and so on. You know, the, and and really, to be honest with you, it's about the Packers trying to limit the cap hit they're going to take. It's like a $40 million cap hit if they trade him, you know, before the draft or during the draft. June 1st, it, well, once they get to June 1st, it's only about an $18 million cap hit. But my point is, is what if the Ravens turn around and say, all right, you know, we're going to lose Lamar Jackson, some other team. We get two first-round picks, but hey, here's Aaron Rodgers. And oh, now he has Odell Beckham Jr., of course, the target he wanted. Of course, I know Aaron Rodgers is still doing stuff with Alan Lazard and so on. He anticipates to be a New York Jet. But with the, 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 the Packers have handled this. I would not be surprised if maybe the Ravens just felt they need to make the move, get a receiver with Lamar or not. But I feel Tyler Huntley is not going to be the option unless there's injuries moving forward. Uh, But I I would really like to see this be interesting, not to see, you know, the Packers screw over the Jets. I don't exactly want to see that. I want to see, you know, an all-time quarterback here in New York. Don't get me wrong, even though I'm a Giants fan. But I wouldn't put it against the Packers to say, hey, I'm getting more all of a sudden for for Aaron Rodgers. Why why not trade him to Baltimore? It's an AFC team. That was the stipulation of trading Aaron Rodgers. They didn't want him to be in the NFC. So, hey, it could be a possibility as well. Another thing. We're we're touching everything today because we have uh, we haven't done a show in a couple of weeks. So we're doing quick hitting topics all over sports. NHL. Regular season coming to a close. Some big news today. The Penguins cleaned house. They got rid of their team president, GM, and assistant GM after their 16-year streak of making the playoffs came to an end. First postseason in two decades, not to feature Sidney Crosby or Alex Ovechkin. So really a churning of the guard in the NHL. Also, shout out to the local teams from New York. Both basketball teams, all three hockey teams in the New York area making it to the playoffs. Devils, Rangers, Islanders, all there in the NHL. But my question, Tim, is this. We see a team like the Penguins that have been the definition of success for the last decade and a half. I know it hasn't been to the same level the last few years as the 2000s, but that's because their core got older. I feel like this is a bit of an overreaction. And I feel like there are at times we see teams that give coaches too long of a leech because the coach has stayed right now, but the assistant GM, the GM and the president are all gone. I think the big problem we're seeing in major sports at times is that executives that make the decisions and put together the team sometimes have too short of a leash. I know sometimes you want to make a move for a different direction of the franchise, but this is a team that has played in the postseason for the last 16 years. And I know I know your debate might be a little different here because I know you come from this as a Yankees fan where you say that's not good enough because you're not winning championships. But the Penguins have been successful. Was this really a necessary move to just get rid of everybody and just have a full-on fire sale of leadership after missing the playoffs for the first time since 06? You know, to be honest with you, I think it still comes from the perspective of, you know, when's the last time the Penguins won the Stanley Cup? You're in the picture so often. This, and of course, I'm going to come from the perspective of the Yankees, you know. But to be honest with you, they I still hold to the Yankees to a different standard, not just because they're in the picture every year, 
But it comes from the perspective of the Yankees have been advertised as a team to win now, which is why it's so devastating to the, to, to the perspective that five, six years later, that team still hadn't won a World Series. You know, I don't exactly feel that way about the Pittsburgh Penguins. You know, yes, again, they're a consistent hearsay, but, you know, there's teams, for example, in other sports, the St. Louis Cardinals. Hey, that's a team that was constantly in the playoffs every year. Were they ever always the favorite to win a World Series? No. You know, you look at other teams, too, you know, in in um in the NFL's perspective, of course, the Pittsburgh Steelers, every year they're above 500. And I'll give you a good example right there. Uh, you talk about coaches that have overheard their stay. I think Mike Tomlin is somebody who's over, you know, overstayed his welcome and should be fired from Pittsburgh. Um, but to be honest with you, Eddie, from a hockey perspective, you know, hockey tends to be very reactive in regards to business from behind the scenes and how and and how outcomes are in terms of tenures and, and, and job perspectives, I would say it's actually less secure than some of our bigger sports, Major League Baseball, you know, the NBA, NFL, and so on. Um, so with that being said, you know, I, I don't think it's a far cry considering it's the aspect of regression. And I honestly think Pittsburgh could benefit, you know, from the perspective of a new taste and, and, and newfound success as long as they find the right people. And of course, there's going to be that risk where they very well could find the wrong people. But sometimes you lose touch, even if you're consistently there. So I really want to see what this future holds for them. But all I know is that you have to still keep some of your core players there and build around that. But I think, of course, it starts in and out. Of course, it starts with coaching, starts with perspective, and then start building these players. I think Pittsburgh, to be honest with you, made a good move. Interesting. Now, the NHL, looking at the playoff picture quickly, I'll just talk about that. The Bruins, of course, the favorite historic year, but there is the curse of the President's Trophy and the tendency for teams that are of uh, lower seeds that end up sneaking through and going on deep runs. The St. Louis Blues winning the cup three years ago, a prime example. So it's going to be interesting. I always believe the NHL postseason is the most compelling of the four major sports playoffs because there's so much riding on every game and it all comes down to each and every goal. Every scoring play matters just so, so much compared to the other three major sports, which makes this elimination style postseason so, so interesting and goal goalie play as well. I say it feels like too that almost every series, well, not every series, but majority of them after the first round goes seven games. And it's just, it's a game of flow more than basketball and so on. You could just feel the energy and feel the motion on the ice. And there's not much more you can do about it. So with that being said, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of good goalie play in this playoffs. And I think there's just, again, no sport like the NHL. And I tend to agree. It's by far the most compelling. And when you get to the Stanley cup, I know it's not the biggest, it's not bigger than the Super Bowl and so on from a viewership perspective, but to, to get that far, especially if you go through a grind and win a championship, it's going to be fun to watch and it's going to be real exciting. Last topic, NBA playoffs. The grid is mostly set. We're recording this on Friday afternoon, so we do not know who the two eight seeds are going to be just yet. Chicago is going to be playing Miami for one of them in the East, and then it's Minnesota against OKC for the other in the West. But the Lakers and Hawks officially in 14 of the 16 spots are set. Six of the eight first round matchups are also set. Uh, let's start out in the West. Now, the Timberwolves had a disastrous ending to the season with everything that transpired. That Rudy Gobert trade, which I said it on here when it happened, that is the worst trade I have ever seen in a major sport. And th there's, a, there's a lot of contenders. 
but the Timberwolves gave up so much for a guy who just isn't that good when you already have a center who can shoot the ball and who can rebound, and now you're forcing Carl Anthony Towns to play sort of out of position, which can leave them really hurt on defense against athletic teams, which could be a matchup problem against OKC with a lot of young guys who like to run the ball um, and move around all around the court. They like to pass it. They like to move fast with Shea and Josh Giddy and Jalen Williams and everyone else. But the fact that you've got Rudy Gobert punching a teammate, Jaden McDaniels punching the wall, the fact that they still ended up winning that game when all that happened and went wire to wire with the Lakers before losing that one in overtime is really impressive. But uh, for me, I don't think Minnesota really has much of a shot here. And frankly, Carl Anthony Towns played high school in my town, high school ball in my town, Metuchen, New Jersey. I really hope he gets out of there at some point because I just think the Timberwolves are kind of dysfunctional. But the Lakers beat them. So my question here, they are a seven seed. The moves that Rob Palenka made are clearly paying off. And LeBron has looked good this season. So has Anthony Davis. They're getting up there. But of course, LeBron knows how to win when it matters most. Do you see the Lakers being a threat in this series against Memphis? I don't think so. I'm going to be honest with you. I think LeBron's going to play great. Anthony Davis is going to play great. But it goes back to my point about the Lakers of just there's not consistency overall. And it feels like this every season since they've won the championship. This team doesn't have depth. It's it's the same thing every year. And I feel like they may win a game in a series. But I feel like they're going to be a first-round exit without a doubt. I actually disagree. I think Memphis is in so much turmoil with everything that happened. And they've got key injuries that are going to hurt them against the Lakers because you don't have Steven Adams or Brandon Clark. So there's going to be very little to try to neutralize Anthony Davis inside and Mo Bamba when he plays inside. So the Lakers, I feel like, may have a bit of an advantage in that aspect. And I know Morant's going to play great. But I just feel like Memphis is a little depleted. And of course, they've had everything go on off the court this season. And Dylan Brooks is going to be trying to get in the head of all the Lakers players. I don't know. I just think this is the year the Lakers could maybe at least win a round. I don't see them going beyond that. But I, I, I don't think this Memphis matchup is as difficult as some people are thinking. Yeah, but the thing about the, the, the West is it's so, I mean, yes, it's unpredictable because almost every team is weak. But I, again, I'm just not as bought into the Lakers. I, I don't feel there's consistency when it matters and it doesn't matter who they play. So again, it, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens in this first round. Of course, you mentioned the advantages, but I, I still feel that health could become a factor too when you think about it. I would not be surprised if you see Anthony Davis get hurt at some point in the series. So again, I, I just don't know what to expect. It, it, it comes down to attrition. And again, Memphis, I think from an aspect of progression, even though it's, you know, it's been up and down, up and down, they still technically have progressed from last season through all the chaos, which again leads me to think, I think that they're going to be just fine this first round. But after that, it's a crapshoot. It's an absolute crapshoot of what's going to happen. I think once you once you get through these first eight teams and knock it down the four. So we'll do our full picks in just a couple of minutes, but let's talk about the teams that we root for. I'll talk about the Nets first because I think it's more simple. I'd like to see the Nets steal a game from Philadelphia. I think they can do that. Uh, Mikael Bridges has been a revolution with this team. 
they've made adjustments without Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, and they're seeming to pay off. I, I like this roster composition the Nets have right now. They now have the cap space to make some moves. They also have the draft capital to make some moves in the draft. So the offseason, I think, is going to be good for Brooklyn. Just don't try and get another star. Just complimentary pieces. That's how they were successful four years ago when they played Philadelphia in a series, when they were led by D'Angelo Russell. They match up with them exact same scenario this time around, but Sixers are going to take care of it. But if the Nets can win a game, I'm satisfied. I think Jacques Vaughn's done a good job to stay as the full-time coach. Mikel Bridges looks good. Claxton is really transitioning into being one of the better centers in the NBA now, which I did not see coming. Dinwiddie looks happy to be back. Joe Harris is starting to find his form again. So I like this current roster composition the Nets have. And I'll see what they can do. But my question for you, the Cleveland Cavaliers are relevant again and relevant without LeBron for the first time really since the 90s. So the Cavs are in the playoffs. They're matching up with the Knicks, which may be, in my opinion, the best series of the eight. I think those two teams match up very well. Donovan Mitchell now is going to be trying to make up for the fact that he has not been the best postseason performer at times, aside from the bubble in his career so far. Two very young teams. The Knicks were in this position two years ago, won a game from Atlanta, but that was it. Uh, my question is for you, one, will the Cavs get past the Knicks? And two, do they have anything to rival those top three teams in the East in Milwaukee, Boston, and Philly? You know, I do feel like they have something to rival. Again, I don't really know if the Cavs are going to go all the way to the championship. But in terms of the Knicks, this is my honest prediction. I, I see this series being about six games i have the Cavs winning 4-2 overall but my thing is i feel rj barrett is going to be the interesting one to watch in this series because i feel there is a definite possibility that he could shoot the knicks quite literally out of this series if he does not shoot well from beyond the arc it's happened multiple times this season where he shot them out of games and I feel coach Thibodeau you know at times has not had touch in terms of keeping a good leash on RJ Barrett now I think the the player to, to be honest who I think to watch from a Knicks perspective that could be very um unique in this series I think Obi Toppin's gonna be one because and I Donovan Mitchell actually talked about it a couple days ago you know prepping for the series he feels Obi is the one that you can't really stop that they, they have weakness from defensively because he's so fast down the floor where the Cavs have the speed disadvantage that he can just play very physically very quickly and you know really progress a quick tempo Nick offense so I think he'll be the turning point but again R.J. Barrett if the Knicks want to win this series or have a you know a good playoff overall and a good start R.J. Barrett needs to be the key point, uh, you know, as a complimentary player. And if he's not there, the Knicks are going to struggle, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, they're going to have, you know, they're going to have production from Brunson and so on. But you need R.J. Barrett to be that guy. So let's finish with this NBA playoff predictions. Of course, we did our picks at the beginning of the year. They didn't pan out all so well. And of course, you have to qualify with the fact that injuries happen in the playoffs. We've seen it the last couple of years. That's probably going to have an effect. But I'm basing this on no injuries. So what I've got, I've got out of the East, I'm going to go with Cleveland to beat the Knicks and the other three series, handily Boston, Philly, and Milwaukee. My, one, my only surprise in the East is I think this is the year the Sixers finally make it to the conference finals. I think they're going to shock Boston. I don't think the Celtics are as well coached under Missoula as they were with Ime Udoka. And while they have a better roster, there's been a lot of health issues throughout the season. They haven't really gotten that chemistry going. I think this is the year Embiid and Harden put it together to make it to the conference finals. But the Bucks come out of the East on top of Philly. Over on the West, 
Very interesting. Western Conference is just an onslaught of good teams that can battle one another. I said it. I think the Lakers are going to shock Memphis. I think the Kings and Warriors is going to go seven, but I think Golden State's experience is going to have them over the edge, though. Shout out to Sacramento. This is the first time in 17 years they're going to have a game on ABC, which is just crazy. Uh, That team, really good. And shout out to that fan base that has stuck with them. They have a very loyal fan base. And as much as people say stuff about the Kings, they have fa- they have a lot more fans show up to their games than some of these other uh, higher-touted teams at times. So shout out to the Kings. But I think they'll be one and done in the playoffs. But they will win some games against the Warriors. I think the Suns take care of the Clippers. And the Nuggets take care of whoever they end up playing. Because the Timberwolves are dysfunctional and the Thunder are still very young. Though they could, whoever comes out could win a game or two against Denver. Then I've got the Nuggets and the Suns. I've got Phoenix beating Denver. I still think Jokic is going to hold them back in a playoff series. I think Phoenix's roster is just too good right now if they stay healthy. Warriors beat the Lakers. Phoenix and Golden State. Suns make it back. It's a rematch from two years ago, but this time the Suns get revenge. CP3 gets his ring. KD gets another ring with another team, and people start debating about that. Suns beat the Bucks in the finals. So, Tim, floor is yours. Where do you have this playoffs going? Well, I will start in regards to the Suns. I tend to agree with you, although I do think the Kings do win in the first round. I do think the Suns um, end up going to the NBA Finals yet again. Um, But on the Eastern side, to be honest with you, the way I see it, I have Cleveland, of course, ended up being the Knicks. And then, of course, I have them you know, mixing with Milwaukee where, to be honest with you, I think the Cavs, you know, this season have matched up pretty well with the Bucs. I think it's going to be a very interesting series. I have them upsetting the Bucs, but on the contrary, I have Boston uh, beating Philadelphia in that final, uh, at least in that final four of the semifinal, setting up for an Eastern Conference championship where Cleveland ends up facing Boston, where I feel Boston has had the better of Cleveland this season. Um, Again, it's playoffs. Anything could happen. But I think the Boston Celtics are going to end up going to the NBA Finals. And am I allowed to give my prediction or no? Oh, go ahead. I just did. Give it your prediction. I think. I think I think Boston finally this year gets it done in to be honest with you, seven games over Phoenix. That would be crazy with the coach carousel that they have had, but uh they definitely have a talented team. But the NBA playoffs are gonna be fun. Uh but that's gonna wrap up Sports Speak. As always, you can follow our Twitter at Sportspeak Live and also follow along with our NASCAR weekly pick'em where the disasters keep happening for me. Of course, I pick Kyle Larson, who's fast and what happens. He DNFs after a wreck with Ryan Priest. I have had one top 15 finish for my drivers. I've picked in eight races. And then that one twi- Twitter user that was going after uh the Christopher Bell picker, uh, they he was proven wrong because C Bell got it done at the Bristol dirt track. So uh shout out to whoever that was on Twitter who then deleted his tweet afterwards. But uh yeah, we, we love fan interactions. So you can always, you can always hit us up on Twitter at sports speak live, but that'll do it here for episode one thirty. NFL draft coverage is going to be coming soon. We're also still working on getting Jordan Sarnoff on. Uh, he's been very busy. He was with Barstool. He was at the final four, but we will get him on at some point. I can promise you that uh, the SID from Fairleigh Dickinson, who became kind of famous during the NCAA tournament uh, a few weeks ago, a friend of ours that me and Tim both went to broadcasting camp with, but that's it for sports speak today. I'm Eddie Kalegi. And I'm Tim Moore. Enjoy the rest of your week.